Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. Hey folks, CJ Grimm here from Poking Dead Things. It's a hard job doing what we do, and it can get kind of gross. We know that you work hard too, so I'm here to tell you that at the end of a hard day, nothing beats a hot bath and a cold beer. So treat yourself right, head to Twisted Willow Soap Company, and indulge in a bath bomb with your favorite six-pack. Remember, the only girly thing about a bath bomb are the sounds you're going to make in excitement. Twisted Willow Soap Company. Body. Mind. Soul. What is there unreasonable in admitting the intervention of a supernatural power in the most ordinary circumstances of life? Welcome to Anima, Spirits and Others, the 60th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today was courtesy of 19th century novelist Jules Verne. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. This is the continuation of what's not officially a series, but a series of loosely connected episodes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Starting with theism and non-theism beliefs in the divine, continuing mm-hmm. to working with gods. Now we're going to be talking about different kinds of spirits that you might interact with. Mm-hmm. We'll be following this episode up with an episode about working with spirits. Yep, that's right. And then we'll be rounding off this sort of series sort with of. A, a, a pair of episodes about ancestors. ancestors. Mm-hmm. Yep. But before we get into all that, we have to do our housekeeping. So, Carr, first of all, do we have any new patrons? We do not have any new patrons hey. this week. Hey. So. No names to read. No names, no names to, to read. read. Right. But we do love all our patrons, right. and we yep. thank you for those who are patrons and supporting the podcast. Yes, exactly. We love all of you. We love seeing you guys in the Discord. Yeah, hello, Discord. Anyone who is a Hunter-level patron or above gets to join us live during recording on the Discord. Yep. That's right. They get to hear our shenanigans. And they get to chit-chat with us. Exactly. We usually get about between five and ten, probably, Hunters at a time, uh, give or take. We are going to be opening up the Discord to everybody, all, all members, anyone who anybody is, who is listening, right, right? Anybody who has the time to listen uh, for our next recording, September thirtieth, Monday, Monday night. It's going to mm-hmm. be a Monday night because we will be coming back from Pagan Fires, the normal recording day. So, That's right. correct. Do you want to tell us about Pagan Fires? Sure. Pagan Fires is a brand new festival that is starting this year. It was put together by a bunch of really cool people in Ohio, mm-hmm. along with Devin Hunter, Storm, Fairy Wolf, and Chaz Bogan. Mm-hmm. The headliner for it is Laura Tempest Zakroff. The main ritualist is Jackie Smith of mm-hmm. Coventry Creations. Mm-hmm. And then, oddly enough, we're speaking. Yeah. Well, so, <laughs> We're teaching. not speaking. Yeah, we're yes. not speaking, teaching. but we're teaching. teaching. We're doing. Yeah. We're teaching uh, one class. class. Yeah, yep. we're doing monikers, monikers in metaphorical and, yep. spaces, and we are really looking forward to this. It looks like it's going to be a great festival. Yeah, yeah. It, hopefully it'll be a good event. Yep. And hopefully it'll be well attended, mm-hmm. and it'll be something that will be annual. Recurring. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. I do want to read, so... Yes. A, yeah. a, one of our patrons... <laughs> a new patron. A new patron, uh, a patron, yeah. Wrote an ode, a but poem. not to ode. It wasn't. No. Well, I don't think it's officially an ode, but it is a poem. It's a poem. <laughs> I know it's called an ode, but an ode is a specific Yeah, I know. Yeah. I wanted to say sonnet, and I was like, no, it's no, not a sonnet. Not a sonnet. <laughs> so, but this came from the Sugar Maple Seder. Yes, yes who's right. just saying, oh, God, in the chat. <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote this, oddly enough, on another Discord uh-huh. server that I'm a part of. Here's what it said. When car speaks, it's sweet like honey. Because of this... I give my money. And we thank you, Rainbow. We thank you. We think it's charming. Maybe more of a limerick. Right, yes. 
we really do love our patrons. Uh-huh. They make it possible for us to go to events such as Pagan Fires yep. and to do other things. And so we just really appreciate our patrons. We love talking with them or chit-chatting with them yeah. during yeah. live recordings. And uh, if you're not aware, because often we don't mention it, we have a brief debriefing mm-hmm. uh, after recording. So yep. if you join us in the recording channel and talk to us during the recording of the episode, you get to hang out with us afterwards where we talk about just random bullshit. That's right. right. For That's 20 right. to 30 minutes. People, uh-huh. you know, get people's questions that mm-hmm. might have gotten missed, that kind of stuff. People make recommendations. Recommendations for, exactly. for future episodes. And then we have another thing that we just started recently called the Intrigue. The Intrigue. And the Intrigue, in case anybody is wondering, is a small group of cats. So we started the Intrigue in order to get people to be intriguing with us. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to know more about that, you can email me. Yes. Uh, Contact Car. Car at the number three pagansandacat.com. And I think that's all our housekeeping. I think that is. I think that is. All right. I think we're housekeeping up. Something I thought we should cover at the very beginning mm-hmm. is that. First of all, not everyone who's a pagan or a witch believes that there are spirits. That's right. True. Of That's any right. kind. We're not talking today about the spirits of dead human beings. Mm-mm, nope. That that we'll be covering in our ancestor episode, but we're talking about different kinds of spirits, different kinds of consciousnesses or beings or entities that you might encounter in mm-hmm. your work. Mm-hmm. First of all, obviously, same as when we were doing theism and non-theism, I think it's good for us to maybe define some terms. Yeah. So there isn't like a specific framework other than like material materialism, mm-hmm. maybe, for not believing in the existence of spirits. It's just sort of, at this point, the the mainline accepted belief, I mm-hmm. think. I think even people who tell you that they believe in ghosts will not tell you that they believe in, like, mountain spirits. Right. 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 That's something you're, you're much more likely to encounter under certain kinds of religious frameworks. That's right. Like animism. Mm-hmm. So Car and I are both hard, hard animists. Yep. Animism is the belief that the things in the world and sometimes even concepts like words or ideas like runes have individual spirits in and attached to them. Correct. Mm-hmm. Animism believes essentially in what I guess I would call an enspirited <clears throat> world or mm-hmm. an ensouled world. One in which anything you interact with might be a person on some level. Mm-hmm. Maybe not always a person you can interact with, but a person that exists. Right. A spirit or being mm-hmm. that exists. Another sort of framework for understanding spirits is pantheism, mm-hmm. which is the belief that everything is connected through a single central spirit of some kind. Mm-hmm. This isn't an inspirited world. It's an interpenetrated world. Right. In which everything is sort of connected along a web. Right. So, like, it would be a god or goddess is the main spirit and everything else is kind of... Not a god or goddess, usually. Usually pantheism is just the idea that there is a universal spirit Spirit. that everything is a part of. Okay. In Celtic mythology, the divas, Mm -hmm. D-E... V-A-S, mm-hmm. are seen as individual spirits that live, so like you would have like a bluebell, mm-hmm. right? The flower. Mm-hmm. And so there would be a diva of that, of that specific, of that bluebell. specific bluebell. bluebell. And then that diva of that specific bluebell would have a connection to the other or... bluebell divas, okay. mm-hmm. right? And then 
all of the bluebell divas and all of the sunflower divas and all would all have a connection to a an to even a larger, flower alert. Right, right, yeah, exactly. So there's like so there's a, multiple the diva layers. of a specific bluebell, the diva of that bluebell field, mm-hmm. the diva of bluebells as a plant, Correct. the diva of flowers as a as a genus, right. the diva of plants generally, yep. the diva of the planet. Correct. I think you could say that that's similar to what I yeah. believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I have a very similar. That's at least that's been my experience, mm-hmm. and I've talked about this before. Where like, and I think that I still think the the best encapsulation I ever had of this was with technology. Ironically enough, I guess. Mm-hmm. Where like my phone, because I use it all the time, or because it came with a spirit of its own. However, that happened has a spirit, right? Mm-hmm. There's the spirit of my phone, but through the spirit of my phone, I can access the spirit of like technology, right? And through the spirit of technology, I can access the spirit of electricity, mm-hmm. and through the spirit of electricity, I can access the spirit of plasma, right? And those are like layers of increasingly big and more abstract spirits. Right. Okay, so Squeaky just said, so for example, the spirit of an object or place, let's say a pond or lake, is the spirit of the thing an entity that lives in the thing, or is it the soul of the thing itself? Column A, column B. A little bit of a... So, yeah. so you're, you'll find varying points of view on that. Mm-hmm. So, like, the genus loci, which is a Roman concept, was the concept of a spirit that is of the place, mm-hmm. it's like one part an intangible spirit and one part like a philosophical idea of a place within certain intangible boundaries right. that was both the presence of the place and the protector of the place. Mm-hmm. It didn't so much live in the place as it was an expression of the place, right? So that's what a genius loci is. Right. As a heathen, I believe in Landvetir and Husvetir. Husvetir in particular have very specific and boundaries because they live inside the house. Right. Let's translate that to right. land spirits and, and house, house spirits. spirits. So, which I believe in both of those as well. Yeah. So like house spirits are, are maybe easier to, to grok because mm-hmm. they have very specific boundaries. They live inside the walls, walls of the of house. house. Mm-hmm. But they... In my experience, unlike what a genus loci is, which doesn't necessarily live in the place but represents the place, mm-hmm. a house spirit is part of the house. Right. If you tore down the house, you would interrupt or damage Dis- the spirit in some way. the spirit yeah. in some way. Mm-hmm. So I do have a question because mm-hmm. we talk about house spirits. We also talk about house whites. Uh-huh. Same thing? Yeah. White yeah. is just a, an uh-huh. old English word that means like living thing. Okay. Yeah. 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 Consciousness. House, house spirits. Yeah. Those are all interchangeable words. Yeah. In a sense. I just know that we've used both yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I use house white and house vatir a lot. Husvetir derives from the Norse, and mm-hmm. House White derives from the Old English. Gotcha. And going back to the question, I think it was Squeaky who mm-hmm. was asking, like, does it live in does it live the thing, in or is it the soul of, of the, thing? the thing? I think, do you live in your body? Yeah. For me, I, <laughs> or I are think, you the soul of your body? Let's take the Great Lakes for instance, because you know we're in Michigan. Mm-hmm. I believe that each of the lakes has its own soul or spirit that envelops it. Mm-hmm. I think there are also rivers and lakes that branch off from these great lakes. I think those are all individual spirits, but are still connected to the great lakes. So if it was a spirit that was a part of the great lakes or the great lakes, so we'll just take Michigan, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. Right. Uh, since that's the one we live closest to. So right. if it was a spirit 
of the Lake of Michigan mm-hmm. and was in it, then if it ran into a river, that spirit would, you would think would flow with the river. Up to a certain to point. A point. Yeah. To a point, to right? Because there's so, not clear boundaries. Right, yeah. And a lot of it's underground that yeah. you don't see. So there, right. I think there's a lot of factors of where things begin and end. And But I think when we've talked to, to James and Sarenth, they feel like the spirit of the lakes is a deity for, right. for that lake. Local right. god. A local god yeah. for right. that lake. Yeah. And I think that is from the spirit of the lake itself. Mm-hmm. And I would say the tribes in this area felt that way too. Going Probably. back to, mm-hmm. to the native tribes in, in Michigan. I don't know enough I don't, about the mythology to confirm I, that. I but know yeah. from you know the from one right down the street right down, yes, right, and talking, talking to them. them. Yeah. Yep. And Rana was just saying the same thing on the Discord is like the beach near her home mm-hmm. is a spirit that's different than the Pacific Ocean near right. her home, but they're connected. Yeah. yeah. They are they are they work together right. in a way. And I would they're say they're enmeshed similar, on yeah, some level. I would yeah. say there's a similar uh feeling with the rivers, with the beach at, at the lake. So it's fairly borgish. <laughs> it's kind of hive mind I, almost. I don't know that I'd go that although mm-hmm. I have ex- I have encountered a hive spirit. Mm-hmm. It was the apartment complex that we used to live in. Right. right. My experience of that house spirit was that the little piece of it that I had in my apartment was one element of of the whole apartment's hive. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. so it was almost a less differentiated spirit because mm-hmm. the building had the primary spirit. Mm-hmm. Finn That's... was just saying ley line being a part of that. So ley lines are interesting. Ley lines, I don't I don't know even how I would describe. Not as spirits, mm-hmm. because they don't seem to have consciousnesses, or at least to interact in the way that the spirits I'm familiar with interact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They clearly have energy, right. but I don't know if a ley line is a kind of spirit, or if a ley line is like the veins That's of That's what I was just going to say. I feel like it is more like a causeway or a route mm-hmm. for that allows these spirits to interconnect and like somewhere there's a heart and it's beating Mm -hmm. magic and energy and the ley lines are the veins and arteries that are attached to that heart and i think all of these spirits and of the land and the air and the lakes and us I think we all can interconnect and make use of those ley lines. And those You're going to read Yanni's? Yeah, because yeah, this is from... Yanni is from New Zealand. New Zealand, right. And Yanni says, We have Tanawa, guardian monsters that reside in bodies of water such as rivers and lakes. They can appear if they choose as sharks, whales, dragons... Or even floating logs, and apparently it's Tani Fa. Very cool. That's interesting, yeah. I know that we were, not long ago, we were watching a documentary, I think on the henges, the various henges and stones, and they talked about how they're connected through ley lines. Yep. All Mm -hmm. these different henges. They're aligned. They're all aligned. So in some way, our ancestors were more connected, perhaps. Rana, Rana, yeah, just said, I think they're like riverbeds. Energy carves a path mm. like water does. I love that. That's, that's, really that's cool. an interesting yeah. analogy. Yeah. So something that I think it's valuable for us to cover here before we start getting into other different types of spirits mm-hmm. is that you are one. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, we are, you know, and we I think are a spirit living inside a flesh body. Living inside a body or being a body or whatever. Exactly. Um, depending on your sort of, How, what where, your where you're at. belief system is. And I think that's something that we overlook sometimes and it makes us approach spirits and working with spirits very strangely. Mm-hmm. As though it's like a, like a really dangerous or, or, scary in, or, scary or difficult mm-hmm. or impractical thing to do. That's why I feel like our ancestors were more connected and perhaps it was through nature mm-hmm. and ley lines and understanding their role in the spiritual world as spiritual beings mm-hmm. in a way that we've kind of lost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That we're, we are in the modern day, very sort of cut off from the, even people who believe, you know, that the soul exists are in some ways cut off from the concept of themselves as being spirits. No, yeah. I'm not saying anything bad about science. No, I no, love we science. Support science. We love science, support science. But I think that that does have, it did have its part to play. Yes. But science to the exclusion of spirituality has in some ways crippled us in terms of our spiritual progress. And I think we're seeing that in our world. I think part of it too, though, is that at least in paganism, we're so spread out. Yeah. And because, you know, most of us probably don't even really know our neighbors. Yeah. More or less the next closest pagan to us. Mm -hmm. So that's, an issue, and I think that's places where like the Discord server or the Facebook group or mm-hmm. anything like that, those kind of things, though still digital, digital mm-hmm. and not in person, do tend to allow some of that kind of stuff that we mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily they, get. Yeah, they give us opportunities mm-hmm. to rebuild communities yeah. uh, in as much as we can. Yeah. Right. And that's not to say that, you know, going back to the to the question of, you know, how we are at this point kind of cut off from our understanding of ourselves or being fearful of working with spirits. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that our ancestors didn't have their fears. Right. Our ancestors um, were concerned with protecting themselves. Yeah, obviously. they had their concerns with working with the gods and seeking their blessings and things like that. I think that a lot of the history we still have is even less connected than we were in prehistory, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Before written human history, we just had a different way of interacting with the world. Right. It was more immediate. We were more involved in and part of nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We weren't a separate class, right? right? The way that we we view humans as being a separate class of being. We were all part of of our environment. We were part of the food chain. Yep. Yep. And we were, you know, busy dealing with that. And I think again, and the enlightenment, industrialization, all of these advancements, which were good for humanity, right, good and valuable, good right. and valuable, but they did ha- come at a cost. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I that think cost people, was our connection. People who were interested in some kind of spirituality mm-hmm. in the olden days uh-huh. had a better chance at it because it was oral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had to you learn had to it. go meet that teacher. Ex- right. You actually had to learn it. Where we somewhat in today's day and age expect it to a just quote unquote magically appear, just be, yeah. yeah, or we expect to be spoon fed it, yeah, and not have to do research that's on our the, own and that a, kind of stuff. That is a big thing, and not just research, but I think you have to go out and experientially yep. do the work, yeah. Right? And I think part of that comes from honestly organized and mainstream religions mm-hmm. where you had there a, is a priest, there's a yeah, there is a leader or right. priest or or whatever who and does, there are and there are lay people, and there are learned within the the priesthood mm-hmm. yeah. and I mean if you go back to Christianity it was the priesthood that had the the learning that's and the and the common people did not did not and right. they had to depend on the priesthood for not all even, of their information you don't need to be using past tense modern day yeah, it's still that Christianity way. Yeah. has theologians mm-hmm. right 
and lay people. That's right. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's something that continues. And I think that other large organized mm-hmm. religions have a similar have struggled thing, with a similar have, thing. have struggled with a similar issue. And I think that's why we have this attitude among people of wanting to be spoon fed because especially, you know, even in paganism, because I think you're coming out of a system where you're used to being taught. Right. And I think people want spirituality. They want spiritual connections or in some way they are lacking those things and they are aware of that lack and they're trying to fill it with something. Right. Mm -hmm. They don't always go to religion to fill it. Right. right? Yeah. I think that there's a need for it. Right. That's not being met. That's not being met. And, you know, sometimes you fill it with science. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you fill it with esoteric religions. Sometimes you fill it with nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. And and something I want to, like, a brief digression here. Um, Sometimes I think the people who fill the absence in their lives of spirituality with science, I think they're doing that in a very similar way to the way that spiritual people do it. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean that in, like, a disparaging, like, your religion is science kind of way. I don't mean that. But I mean that, like, they experience the beauty of the universe through science. Science, the way right. I experience the beauty of the universe through, through spirituality, spirituality. Right. Exactly. and that is an equally valid and valuable way mm-hmm. to to experience yep. the beauty of the universe. Yeah, that's right. And going back to also what you had mentioned earlier about people kind of being hesitant or fearful about mm-hmm. working with spirits because they don't think of because themselves they as don't being think spirits. of themselves as being a spirit. But also, I think because major religions are a part of our over culture and are instructional in nature, and are instructional in nature, we've been taught to fear spirit. Well, and unless it's a specific one, well, a specific kind. Well, and we even see some of that anxiety in pagan culture. And mm-hmm. I do want to talk about this. There are certainly spirits that it will be more dangerous for mm-hmm. you to interact with than others. And there are certain codes of conduct and ways that you should approach and behave mm-hmm. with spirits, especially spirits who are not human or who do not have much interaction with humans. Right. Which but is because where study comes exactly. in and learning how because, to approach Because spirits. those spirits will have different expectations of you and mm-hmm. because of the way our culture is divorced from mm-hmm. spirit and from spiritual interaction, mm-hmm. we we don't teach each other the appropriate ways to interact with the spirits in our lives. And I think and that's then, where the danger comes in, I think. That's right. where the danger comes in because we start making assumptions right. of what to we, do. We go in with false expectations mm-hmm. that set up dangerous precedents that we then, because we have no spiritual technologies, don't know how to resolve. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we wind up bound to spirits, having made promises we weren't prepared to keep. Mm-hmm. We wind up insulting spirits, not understanding what their social mores and culture were. Those are the dangers and the pitfalls that we run into. Mm -hmm. And the only way to overcome those is to study with teachers who have interaction with spirits if possible. Mm -hmm. And then to, at a certain point, leave the nest and take the risk. and, and, And if you are aware of spirits and willing to interact with them, go forth and do it and have safety nets, but at a certain point you just have to bite the bullet. Yeah. 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 Do you realize that many spirits enjoy good tunes? <laughs> and our Tiger Allure driver can provide that with the music of Aqua Girl. Aqua Girl is an indie pop musician with a very chill, listenable synth tone married to lyrics that are by turns hopeful and honest. All of Aqua Girl's tracks have their charms, but Oates suggests in a dark room a melancholy study of living through and with dysphoria. You can find Aqua Girl at aqua-girl.bandcamp.com. You taught me how to love myself in a dark room. You taught me how to bleed, bleed. 
do love Aqua Girls. Oh, music. we do. We do. Yeah. I love Aqua Girls music. It is very deep, very emotional. Mm-hmm. It really does hit you at the core. Yep. And it's good to listen to. It is. I was going to suggest maybe before we move on to types of spirits mm-hmm. that we do reviews. It's time for reviews. That Very was a good, good one. There we Very go. Good. So, did either of you read the yes, book? Yes, I did that we read the book. So, so we are reviewing Rewilding, which is a book by Micah Mortali. I read the wrong book. <laughs> I'm gonna have to listen. <laughs> so we read Rewilding. Car and I did anyway. Oh, well, you did. The book I read was really good. It was about ancient tree spirits and connecting with okay, trees. Well, <laughs> dang. All right. <laughs> Well, I read Rewilding, and I thought it was a good book. Rewilding by Mike Mortale is a good book. It's not my favorite book. No. It's mostly about, like, it It has a lot of meditations. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of mindfulness exercises. A lot of uh, mindfulness exercises, and those were good. Some of them I was familiar with, so, like, it's hard for me to tell what is super beginner info and what just seems like super beginner info to me. Let and me nothing ask. super beginner info to me. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask then, because it sounds like it was good, but it wasn't quite yeah, what we so, were you expecting. So what were you expecting it to be? So it opens with a lot of like personal anecdotes mm-hmm. about experiences that the author had where they felt really connected mm. to nature and to their spirit and, and that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And first of all, for some reason, I did not enjoy reading the anecdotes, which is strange because they weren't badly written. I just like couldn't get into them. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't engaging with them for some reason. So that might be part of the problem. But also I just... A lot of it was about being out in nature. And yeah, the ancestral skills part of yeah, it. The, yeah, and a, lo- a lot of it was so about foraging. foraging and being in the woods, and and then the and then there was like a brief like one paragraph transition where where they where he said like, but you don't have to do all of those things to rewild yourself. You can just do a bunch of mindfulness meditation. Here's a bunch of exercises. Well, and, and I think part of that is because it's it's kind of a dual purpose book. It's it's. It's a little weird. Yeah. Because it, it really is, it's kind of, the dual purposes were one, like rewilding the earth. Right. And that and was the, uh, very much what the beginning of the book seemed like it was going to be about. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then the rest of the, but the, the rest of the book is the about rewilding yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Personal rewilding. Right. And you didn't really like connect with that. I'm getting kind of a sense from both of it you. It wasn't that, that I it like, was it wasn't okay, that I, but not quite what you wanted. It wasn't that I didn't connect with it necessarily. Like the exercises were good. I think, I think they were solid exercises, most of them. And I think they would be useful to a certain extent. I don't know if they would be useful in rewilding myself. Define rewilding. So, so it's trying to reconnect to sort of a more original humanness. Yeah, it's what we were before we became civilized. Right? Like, there's a whole section where he describes modern humans as domesticated. Okay. Which isn't untrue. Right. We were just talking about that. But there was also, like, a whole section about, like, how people who've never seen big cats in reality, like, imagine the existence of big cats because humans subconsciously crave predators. And, like, I don't, I like, maybe that's true, but also I don't want really to be stalked by a cougar. Right. 
like no. in my day to day. Right. Like yeah. I'm I'm happy that that's not a thing I have to deal with. There, I think there were some good things, and I I didn't read it, read it. I skimmed. You're right. But like I think the 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 actual forging stuff was cool. The preparedness stuff was cool. Right. So I I wish it had been more practical. Yeah, because the other stuff was more. Less- the other and stuff was spiritual for the, the the other stuff about the other like global rewilding stuff was more about like let's set aside X amount of the earth to just let it go back to being wild earth, mm-hmm. not you know human maintained earth, and let's try to reintroduce the animals that belong in the habitats and let the ecosystem sort itself out and yes. stuff like that. As so, Squeaky mentions, it's like paleo for spirituality. Kind of, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I'm going to give it three stars. Yeah, I think that's probably where I am, too. It's not a bad book. It's no. well written. Yep. I do think some of the exercises are good and could be useful for people. Again, I don't think they would be useful for rewilding yourself. I didn't ever feel like these exercises would have taken me closer to, to like, a prehistoric human state. Right. They were mostly the same kind of mindfulness stuff that you see With everywhere. And yeah, and, the, well, and there and were there were a lot of. I, here's I did appreciate this. I did appreciate that the Buddhist derived stuff that was clearly derived from from Buddhist practices and from yoga and stuff like that was like he referred to where he learned it mm-hmm. from. He didn't just try to right it, incorporate it, it into his practice without right. Trying he didn't to... he didn't smush it into into like a big messy New Age appropriation pile. I don't know to what extent it was authentically rooted in traditional practices, mm-hmm. but it, it at least seemed as though it had an awareness mm-hmm. that it came from a culture, mm-hmm. which is something I, that I, I feel is often missing in this kind of stuff. And he is the director of a yoga, a center for yoga yeah. and health. Yeah. So. yeah. But I, like I said, I, a lot of the exercises felt to me like the normal sort of mindfulness exercises you find anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really feel like I was getting a rewilding vibe. So anyway, rewilding meditations, practices, and skills for awakening in nature mm-hmm. comes out December 3rd. Okay. Of this year. We so, got a pre-release a, copy. Yeah, we got a pre-release copy. That's our honest review is three mm-hmm. stars. Yeah, so I gave from it three, stars. three pagans and a cat, it's a three-star review. Mm-hmm. Not bad, but not the best. Right. That's it for reviews. Thank you. So my question is, though, now that we've just talked about that book, uh-huh. and we were at Ann Arbor Pagan Pride yesterday, yes. and you all did a foraging class yes, yeah. with Shadow Bear. With Shadow Bear, yes. And so... What are the differences between the book we just talked about, which has a bunch of foraging and that kind right. of stuff in it, and what Shadow Bear talked about? So the rewilding book, although it comes from a spiritual framework, right, mm-hmm. is not even related really to the no. stuff that we were doing with Shadow Bear. What Shadow Bear had us do right. was go into a forest. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not a forest, but a wood. A wood. A wood. A wood it had a, a path, a little path and, yeah, you know, a little, the, a little park. It was a park with a wood, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and we introduced ourselves to that wood to the local to guardian. The local guardian, the Shadow we, Bear's been, been there before, and he knows the wood, and he's right. exactly these relationships. But what we did is we entered it with a specific intention mm-hmm. of like a spell or something that we wanted, something that we needed to get something done. that we needed to get done, and we put that intention out toward the forest. Mm-hmm. 
And the idea is that you will be drawn to right. what you need. Okay. Uh, the wood will the lead wood you. The will provide. lead you. Exactly. The spirits of the of the right. objects will, or the wood will, will lead you to the things there you that you need things. for your work. Right. Yeah. And it was a very powerful experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I was drawn to many things. We were we were both both Ode and I were drawn to um this trio of of stones, big mm-hmm. big big stones, big rocks. Yeah. They had incredibly strong uh, spiritual energy. You could just, like, it was big brother and little brother mm-hmm. was what I was getting and then the, kind of like a cousin <laughs> across the way. And they offered there were little stones around them for me to take a couple of the stones to represent them in the work that I have. Mm-hmm. And we would leave little bits of tobacco Offerings as an offering, honey, things like yeah. that. And so that was that was a really a powerful experience. And I really felt like the individual flowers and the trees mm-hmm. and the rocks, you know, we really so, felt the individual spirits. So it spirits. was more spirit-based exactly. than yes, the it book was. was. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and so the I was, during that exercise with Shadow Bear, very directly interacting with not just the spirit of the wood in mm-hmm. general and, mm-hmm. and its guardian, right? but mm-hmm. with the individual spirits of... The the good neighbors. Yes, the good neighbors were the there. The good neighbors were there. <laughs> so I went in. Uh, Gwen, you know, wandered around and found a, a, a billion things. <laughs> 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 I went in and followed a dragonfly and found my first thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then was drawn off the path into a separate part of the wood down a hill a bit and got the second thing that I needed by following a bee. <laughs> <laughs> and then. I knew basically that I was done and I didn't need anything else. Um, right. not intellectually, but just like I got in the your sense. Heart. And, yes, in my, in my heart, my, my filkia was like, all right, that's yep. it. We got what we need. And that was something, uh, that Shadow Bear said is like, don't use your head, mm-hmm. use your heart and let your heart be drawn yeah, to lead you it, around the wood to gotcha. lead you to what you need. So I, I knew emotionally that I had the things that I needed. So I was just walking around the woods at that point and enjoying the place and I got what I can only describe as a summons. Mm-hmm. I got a tug, like, come this way. Come this way, come this way, come this way, come this way. And I was like, I don't need anything else, but alright, I got time. So I followed it, and we were being tracked mm-hmm. by a good neighbor who was in a bad mood <laughs> in a deeper part of the wood. A lot of us felt it. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people had the experience. And he was in a bad mood because the area around his deadfall, which was sort of the boundary of his territory, had been incredibly, incredibly littered. Incredibly littered. So, yeah. uh, so I, the, the, the pull I was getting was come to this place and, and pick shit up. up. Yeah. Which we did. Which we did. Uh, and then as soon as we had picked up everything that we could carry, uh, essentially, I got marching orders to leave immediately. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And we did, we did offer tobacco, each one of us. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, it was very, a lot of people experienced it. And then I had an experience with, I believe it was an, Elm tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as we were getting ready to leave, I was I felt drawn to this tree. Put my hands on it and was just closing my eyes. Was just experiencing this the spirit of this tree, and I kept getting this sense of take a leaf. You can take a leaf. Take a leaf. And it felt like a young spirit. Like it was really eager to give me this leaf. And I was like, but I've taken so many things from the forest. Do I really need the leaf? Take a leaf. Take a leaf. And then the leaves started shaking. Yeah, like a breeze came, a breeze came through. You know, and the leaves started shaking above me. And the, I could feel the, the, the vibration vibrating. through the tree. And then a leaf hit me on the shoulder. Yeah, and I landed was like, right on her. Okay, I'll take a leaf. <laughs> aye, aye. It was the one and only leaf that fell from the tree at huh. that time, too. It hit my shoulder. So I was like, okay, got it. 
Yeah. So it was a good experience. That, that was a good experience yeah. that we had. And, and I, so I want to describe this, I think, in more detail because I think some people, when, when we're talking about these things, and I don't think it's intentional, but when we're talking about them, we don't describe what the physical experience is like. Mm-hmm. And so people listening or reading about it or whatever mm-hmm. are left with the impression that it's maybe more magical than it is. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're left with the impression that they'll know mm-hmm. definitively the difference between a spiritual encounter and just walking in the woods. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, a misunderstanding of the experience. So I want to talk about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm a spirit and part of my spirit is my body, right? Mm-hmm. My body is the way that I interact with the world. This is part of the Norse soul complex. Which right. The heathen soul complex involves a lot of parts. One of those parts is your body. I don't have a problem with interpreting the physical feelings I have as being potentially supernatural because my body is a part of my spirit and this is the part of me it's easiest for the world and for other spirits to interact with me through. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people do have a problem with that because they think of their body as mundane and And spirits spirits as supernatural. Yeah. So I want to describe the physical sensations so that you can maybe recognize this when it's happening to Mm -hmm. you. So the first thing I do when I go into the wood is I bring out my filthia which is a kind of spirit that I'll get into in a little bit of detail later probably, but it's basically a part of my soul that's a little bit distinct from my soul. Mm-hmm. And I I bring out my filthia when, or I become more conscious of my filthia mm-hmm. when I'm doing explicitly spiritual work because mm-hmm. it's easier for me to access spiritual work when I'm more aware of my filthia. So I, I bring out my filthia and I tell it what we're doing and it decides how it wants to do that. <laughs> and... What it ended up doing, usually it sort of hangs out around my shoulders, but what it ended up doing, because I was trying to divorce my intellect from this process, mm-hmm. was settling in my rib cage and, and sort of around my heart mm-hmm. and directing me from there. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever felt, it's almost like an, like a, you know how when your rib cage gets tight mm-hmm. when you're sad or stressed or anxious or excited or mm-hmm. overwhelmed when you just have a lot of emotions happening? Mm-hmm. It's like that. It's like a sort of a fish hook sense. A pulling. Somewhere in your ribcage that just sort of gently mm-hmm. encourages you in one direction or another, mm-hmm. right? It's not a strong sensation, but it's one that if you pay attention, you can right. become familiar with and learn to sort of follow around. Mm-hmm. So that's what led me from place to place, mm-hmm. from general location to general location, and then identifying the specific things that were being offered to me mm-hmm. was a matter of visual processing, honestly, yeah. was looking right. and seeing what caught my attention. For me, it is it is a physical sensation. It can be a number of different things. It can be a tingling in my forehead. Mm-hmm. It can be tingles or, or like, you know how you get the shivers down your arms uh-huh. and your, your hair is raised. It can be that sense of pulling from mm-hmm. your rib cage. It can be butterflies in the stomach, mm-hmm. but it, it's always for me, it's a, there's a, a physical sensation connected. And sometimes it's just a split second, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's an awareness that brings my attention to whatever it is I'm supposed to be paying attention to, mm-hmm. you know, to that spirit that I'm meant to be interacting with. Cause I can walk into a wood and, uh, and just admire and all just the admire all the things, but generally at some point my uh, my spiritual awareness will be mm-hmm. drawn pulled in one direction pulled in another. one direction or another. Now there are like purely spiritual sensations. Mm-hmm. 
And I've talked about this a little bit before, I think, when we were talking about divination, where under the right circumstances, I can feel sort of the different layers of my spirit peeling away from my body or stepping sideways from or back from my body and disconnecting from it a little bit, Mm -hmm. because that makes it easier to focus on and access spiritual things. Right. And that's a different experience that doesn't really have a bodily Mm -hmm. comparison. Right. So I'm not sure how to describe that one. And maybe you we, just have to experience that one. And I think. maybe this is something we can talk about when we're talking about working with spirit. Yeah, we can do but some I, more I, do, about I do it. just, I do just want to like this is part of being a spiritual, a spiritual being. being. Is that part of your experience is going to be physical? Mm-hmm. Because we are part of our, our we're a, a unit. Mm-hmm. Our, our yeah, spirit it's and all, our body. It's all a connected a system. It's connected. So continuing to talk about spirits, it's time for Oats Stone Corner. So today I'm going to be talking about lapis lazuli. So lapis lazuli is not a crystal. It is a metamorphic stone composed of several minerals. To be a lapis lazuli, it has to have a majority content of lazurite, which is the blue part of, of lapis lazuli. But it usually also contains white calcite in modeling or in veins. Uh, and sometimes the white calcite and the lazurite are intergrown so that you end up with like a more faded denim color to the blue than the the bright or dark blues of the lazurite because it's grown in with with the calcite so much that it's the color has become muted. Mm. And it also usually contains pyrite, either in flecks, uh, little, little golden flecks, or in veins that have sort of grown into the cracks in the composite mineral that lapis lazuli is. It may also contain other minerals, including, interestingly, sodalite, which is often mistaken mistaken for lapis lazuli. Sodalite is a dark blue stone with white veins. It's usually a darker blue than lapis lazuli, and it does not contain pyrite flecks. So that's the the main way to tell the difference between sodalite uh, and lapis lazuli is it doesn't have the pyrite, so it's not going to glitter in the same way that that lapis Lapis. lazuli does, and uh, it tends to be a darker blue. Lapis lazuli does not have a very straight Mohs hardness level. Okay. Because it's composed of, uh, of multiple pieces, so it sort of depends on where you hit it. So it can be between a 2 and a 6. The pyrite flex will be like a Mohs 6. The white calcite will be a, a 2 or a 2.5. And the lazurite will be in the 4 to 5 range. It's not good for like bracelets or things where the, the cut lapis lazuli is going to experience a lot of exposure to nicks and, mm. and hardware mm-hmm. because it will over time uh, get abraded and start to show damage. It is sometimes dyed, even though it's a natural, it's naturally a very bright blue because it's mixed with a white calcite so often and sometimes very strongly mixed with a white calcite. It, it is sometimes dyed to reduce the visibility of the calcite to try and make it a more, yeah, to try and make it a more uniform blue color. Uh, so the best way to tell that your lapis lazuli hasn't been dyed is if it has white calcite gotcha. that is visible in it because most lapis lazuli specimens do have some kind of of white calcite inclusion. Interesting. Cool. Yep. Also, historically, lapis lazuli was ground up very, very finely to make a pigment called ultramarine. I've heard of ultramarine. Yes. Uh, We now use synthetic ultramarine because, obviously, grinding up the expensive lapis lazuli stones is not a cost-effective way to make a pigment. But lapis lazuli ultramarine was very, very popular with artists uh, back in the day when oil painting, you know, some of the great masters, Mm -hmm. was more of a thing. Because it created a very strong blue yep. with good opacity mm. that didn't fade. 
Mm-hmm. So you can see ultramarine. In other words, you can see ground lapis lazuli in Van Gogh's Starry Night. <gasps> no wonder I love it. And so. in the headdress of Vermeer's girl with a pearl earring. Really? Yes. And, oh, and that's the, how they can actually tell if those paintings are authentic. Are authentic. Yep. Because lapis lazuli was used in them. And it's way too expensive to use right. in counterfeits. Oh, yep. my God. That's amazing. I did yeah. not know that. I knew that one. And I love, I love Starry Night. Yeah, it's, I know you do. Oh, it's one and, of my favorites. And there's a lot of ultramarine in that yeah. one. Oh, my yeah. God. So beautiful. Lapis lazuli is what I call a royal stone, partly because it was genuinely used, uh, especially in ancient Egypt, in mm. a lot of uh, pharaonic artifacts. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in their, like in their in, finery? In, yeah, exactly. Uh, in headdresses and in jewelry, jewelry and, and things and like that. Makeup and, you know. That really beautiful blue yeah. eyeshadow. Yeah. Eyeshadow. Yeah. So, pros and cons, lapis lazuli is royal stone, and it knows it. (laughs) Right. So, uh, it sort of wants flattering. It wants to be, it wants to be told that it's beautiful and special. It wants your respect. It is a special snowflake. It's a special snowflake. (laughs) It wants your respect and, and a certain amount of honoring before it's going to work with you or be useful. It's not what I would call an easy stone to work with, but it is potentially a very useful stone to work with. It's good for what I call water purposes. Anything to do with healing, with certain kinds of transformation, with certain kinds of travel, and with certain kinds of emotional, not management, but movement. Right? So water purposes, lapis lazuli is good for. Mm -hmm. It's good for wealth because it has that pyrite inclusion and somewhat incongruously with these other things, except for its association with royalty and kingship, Mm -hmm. lapis lazuli is really, really good for conflict. Oh. Lapis lazuli, and not for resolving conflict. For inciting? For winning conflict. Okay. Lapis lazuli is a war stone that is ready and willing and totally prepared to help you destroy anyone in your way. Okay. And to do it with, like, the, the impression of ultimate authority and power. So and it's the general pattern of Exactly, stones. yeah. Lapis lazuli, if you have an enemy, is going to be like, let's fucking murder them. <laughs> now, here's a question. And no one can put me in jail because I am the king. And the stone. Here's a question. Do they make lapis lazuli into uh, pendulum points? And how would that work as a pendulum if it's got that much attitude? Um, I That's hard for me to say because I don't use pendulum. Mm-hmm. Probably can find lapis lazuli pendulums, but they're going to be rare. You're going ha- to struggle to find a genuine lapis lazuli pendulum, probably you're going to find a lot of dyed howlite, mm-hmm. and you're going to find a lot of sodalite that is being either intentionally or unintentionally misrepresented as lapis lazuli. Always look for the pyrite, okay? because if there are no pyrite flecks, it's unlikely to be genuine lapis lazuli. So if you see it in a pendulum, be suspicious, be suspicious and, and really, double, if it's being billed, billed as, as lapis, lapis lazuli, lazuli, double check, um, it's much more likely to be sodalite or, okay. or dyed howlite. Okay. Like I said, lapis lazuli has, like, personality... And a half. <laughs> so I like I don't work with pendulums, but I think to work with a lapis lazuli pendulum, you would need to be a strong personality yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So interesting. Okay, and you took forever to find a lapis lazuli yes, that would work with you. Yes, I did. Because it's got so much fucking personality. And where did you finally find a piece? World of Rocks in Ypsilanti. And so you can find them at worldofrocks.com. They're not a sponsor of no, ours. No, no, But holy crap. They have so, the, the, the piece I finally found, I went through a lot of lapis lazuli. They had a lot there. And they had some A-grade lapis lazuli there, quite a bit of it. And I went through all of them. <laughs> 
And it's got a really, really, it's a really, really good piece. Yeah. So I definitely, if you can get to Ypsilanti, to World of Rocks. Um, or you can go to their website. You can go to their website, but I I, I just like touching on the rocks. Right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and that way you know the spirit of the of the mm-hmm. stone and if they're if it's willing to work with you. Right. It's, that's it for Odes, Stone. Squeaky says, first, doing a Google image search, and there are a few places apparently where you can get lapis D&D dice sets, and I don't know if this is a good idea or not, I cannot, if the, I lapis, not suggest it. any lapis die that doesn't roll 20s is going to be furious every time. Also, lapis sex toys. <laughs> To which I can only say, I mean, <laughs> it'd be a really dommy sex toy, but you, that could work for you. <laughs> I don't know your life. Oh All right. God. So that's why I couldn't we're get out ex- the end of those. We're quarter. an explicit podcast. That's right. That's right. Oh, my God. All right. Now, I think we should start maybe talking about the different types of spirits. Right, because there are a lot out there. There are a lot of different types of spirits. A lot of cultures have different mm-hmm. understandings of spirits. Yep. And things like that. So I think that is something to take into into consideration. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we've talked about land and house spirits, right. plant and tree spirits. Obviously, nature spirits, nature spirits, spirits. Are, yeah. which are the spirits that I think um, pagans are most comfortable with. Yeah, I think so. I think are, so. are nature spirits mm-hmm. because we do a lot with nature mm-hmm. and with plant matter and being out in the forest and things. like and that. And I think second to nature spirits, what comes next probably is, for lack of a better word. Techno spirits, like the spirits of things that humans have created, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. um, that's less popular, but you do still find people who are like who are like me, who are like right. my phone has a spirit in it. Yep. But those are all embodied spirits. Mm-hmm. Those are all spirits that, like us, have a physical component in the world of some kind or right. a physical connection to the right. world. And that's not the only option. So I found a list of Celtic spirits. Okay. So I want to see what you all think of this list. There's ten of them. Okay. Okay. Right. So the AO. C is the people of the mound. Right. So that would be fairy race. Right. Agree? Spirit? Yes. Right. Banshee. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Agree with that? Yes. Spirit? Yes. Okay. Harbinger. Harbinger yep. of death, yeah. yeah. Among other things. Dumasbukin. Le- Leprechaun. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm going to have Ode say this one. Clearcon? Yeah. So it's a relative of the leprechaun. Hmm. I have not heard of it, but I'm, I going, heard to, of it. Yeah. I'm going to assume that it's It looks a... identical to the leprechaun, but it's always drunk. Oh, how funny. So it's All kind right. of the happy-go-lucky leprechaun. Because leprechauns are not, are not what mm. we see. No. Like, you know, In fact, it sounds like... The movie is more like the, the movie, movie <laughs> leprechaun. <laughs> they're the they're vicious flicks. little bastards right, who, yeah. who are, you know, not to be trifled with. And another leprechaun is the... The fear dog. Right. So, and this one is, it means red man. Mm. So instead of green, it's red. It's red. They're mm-hmm. extremely mischievous. Mischievous or dangerous or both? No, no, just mischievous. <laughs> okay. Like not, yep. So. And I think that's a thing to, to be aware of is yeah. that you have spirits that are mischievous. You have spirits that are dangerous. You have spirits that are friendly mm-hmm. and haughty. <laughs> Some of them. The Dare Du, an Irish vampire. name meaning red blood sucker, mm-hmm. is right. a vampire, yeah. Female demon, quote unquote, right. yeah. who seduces men and drains them of their blood. Yeah, there are vampire mythologies everywhere. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, so. Which means there's gotta be a thing to it, it somewhere. It came from somewhere. It came yep. from somewhere. The, this. Hemophilia kunos. This, this concern of, uh, and you know, and there are people who believe there are psychic vampires mm-hmm. and have experienced that. So. Although that's a very different thing. That's a different thing. That's but. just us 
using that terminology to, to describe it. It's wholly separate phenomena. Right. Good point. Anyway, so that was just a couple of them, but I, mm-hmm. I found them really interesting. Like it was like. Yeah. These are just different than you I'm would not normally say think they are. Of. Not, because and, and it, I, that has to do with the Celtic right. tradition. And um, I, I'm I, assuming they are. This brings up a uh, good point, maybe, where sort of the best resource for you for IDing unfamiliar spirits mm-hmm. is going to be going to mythology. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. seeing what matches up. I mean, for instance, okay, like I was looking into the jinn. They are an Arabic, a pre-Islamic mm-hmm. spirit. Yep. They could be either good or evil. Or nasty. Or nasty. <laughs> they actually might. My understanding is there is some Islam. It it kind of moved from Arabic. Yeah, pieces of it. Have pieces been, of it have been adopted into Islamic belief. But so you've got jinn, you know, in the Arabic right. world. You've got what do they call the devas? I think in devas. India, devas yeah. in yeah. India. You've got we, the batir and the, the whites. and the whites. Yeah. You've got um, uh, of which there are many classes, like the alfar, the elves, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, we have the good people and, and or the good neighbors. You know, yeah. well, they the have good, a whole the, the good neighbors. Yes, but in Norse mythology, oh, yeah. the Alfar, the elves, right, and the dwarves, and the Jotnar, mm-hmm. or the giants, are all different classes of spirit. But all of these things that you know we've kind of taken, I think, in into movies and cartoons and made that them into these. Thanks to Tolkien, we've folded many of these things into generic fantasy. into generic fantasy, but also kind of into this idea that fairies are sweet and light and cute and funny. Nah. And the thing is, you really have to to respect these beings. These are spiritual beings, entities that have their own rules and their own <laughs> the, uh, ideas of, of the uh, way of things propriety. should be done and propriety. Yeah. They may be willing to work with you. They may not. They may not. I think the best way I've seen spiritual moralities described is that if humans have black and white morality systems with mm-hmm. the shades of gray in between, right? Mm-hmm. What spirits, and especially the good neighbors have, mm-hmm. is blue and orange morality with <laughs> shades in between. Where it just doesn't even Cold. bear a resemblance yeah. to, there's no correlation between those moral systems and our moral systems, mm-hmm. and that's where we end up in trouble, because we yep. try to ascribe our moral systems to them, and they try to ascribe their moral systems to us, mm-hmm. and the, the, ne'er the twain shall fucking meet, so we don't know even what the other person is talking about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. To talk about additional spirits, we've also got, like I was talking to our friend Pat at mm-hmm. Arts and Craft about the Goisha, mm-hmm. which are demons, it's spelled D-A-E-M-O-N-S. Yes, the original spelling. The original spelling of demons. Wow, um, the and, original transliteration right, of Greek. From, from the Goisha, which is the Lesser Key of Solomon. Mm-hmm. And these are beings that could be good, neutral, or evil, bad, whatever, depending on who they were, what their job was, that kind of thing. Right. You know, they, and, and there's a well, specific way that you interact with them. Yes. And I personally, not having a lot of experience with the Goetia. No, I don't either. Uh, I personally would not be hugely surprised if some spirits that get treated badly mm-hmm. react badly yeah. to being treated badly. Right. Like exactly. Maybe they are perfectly nice on their own plane of existence, but if every time they get summoned, it's by some asshole who's binding them to his will and you right. know, demanding exactly. that they do X, Y, and Z, you know, I would be moody exactly. at that point. Exactly. I think 
more spirits that there are obviously are the angels and demons of Christianity, mm-hmm. Judaism, which they actually have a, a wider range in Judaism of spirit beings. Yeah, and different class. I don't. They, they don't really have angels, angels and demons. That's they true. have not not the way that Christians conceive of them. And right. I don't know enough about them to talk about um, the Jewish conception of spirits right. uh, in great detail. But it's more complicated than it the is Christian more com- conception. But I do of, think the Christian conception, or at least the evangelical Christian conception of spirits that I'm familiar with and grew up mm-hmm. with. It's very angels and demons, very black and right. white. You had your archangels, you know, you had cherubim and things like that that they adopted, I think, from Judaism. Yeah. Um, and you had your powers my and principalities yeah. and things like that in the demon realm. Right. But I, but still, a lot of people treat it as very black and white, good and evil. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as the pagan world is concerned, there's a lot of shades of gray. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there are there are many kinds there, of spirits. There are a lot of there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that if you approach what would be conventionally, but from a Christian framework viewed as a demon, yeah. from a non-Christian framework, uh, if you approach them respectfully and with an open mind, uh, you will often find that they are not scary. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> or that they're way. scary in an intimidating way, but not interested in like flaying the skin from your bones or whatever. So if you're looking to commune with formerly embodied spirits. Reach out to our Tiger Lorelei from the Georgia-based shop Otherworld Creations. This shop features jewelry, altarpieces, devotional art, and decorative items fashioned out of the bones, teeth, claws, and fur of departed creatures. Lorelei believes that these remains have their own energy and spirit, the same way that plants and stones do, and that these can be tapped into and worked with. Most of the remains used in Otherworld Creations are found already dead, and some are traded from hunters who would otherwise discard these remnants. You can follow Otherworld Creations at Instagram at Otherworld underscore Creations Co. Find them on Facebook or contact Otherworld Creations Co. at gmail.com for inquiries or commissions. And first of all, I'd like to say definitely go check out Otherworld Creations. Yeah, it's got some Laura beautiful stuff things. Lorelei cool, yeah. stuff is gorgeous. But also, it <laughs> brings out a very good point that spirit can stay attached to bone. Right. You know, and has you can work with bones and the spirit that was, that was once, once attached, attached to, bone. to those bones. And that's, we'll get into that more probably with the, when we start talking about ancestors, mm-hmm. but um, it is true for, for, for animal, animal spirits. spirits. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think there's a whole you know, I don't. I honestly don't know much about Native American. Do you want it? So here's something I want to talk religion. about. Religion. I don't know about shamanism, <laughs> but I do know that animal medicine, animal spirits, is a thing. Here's a yeah. Here's a thing we need to talk. But about. But we do need to talk about animal spirits. Yeah, because the, there's been maybe some appropriation. Oh, boy, has there ever been? <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing we need to talk about. This is an audio medium, so just in case you can't tell, we're gonna come out. And say it that neither none of us are Native American. No, we're not Native American. Um, but we we definitely need to. It's not our space to talk about it necessarily, but I do want to uh, to briefly address it. Right, mm-hmm. the spirit animals thing that has penetrated a lot of pagan circles very widely and a lot of New Age circles is some hot bullshit. <laughs> Some pop culture circles, as Squeaky says. Yeah, there are some tribes, not every tribe, but there are some tribes that have a concept of spirit animals, Mm -hmm. which are guides, 
that come to, and uh, traditionally I believe it's nine animals with one who is sort of like the leader of the group, but I can't find, I haven't been able to find any resources that confirm that or what tribes this information is coming from, which is deeply frustrating. So, but what I've found is that there were some, there, there are some tribes where the, the concept of spirit animals originated, the, the concept of spirit animals as guides and, and sort of lifelong spiritual companions mm-hmm. has originated. That is different from an animal spirit, mm-hmm. which you work with, mm-hmm. right? That's a separate thing from a spirit Very animal. Separate. It's a separate thing from a totem animal, mm-hmm. which is actually not an individual thing so much. This also comes from, from various tribes, usually where a totem animal is uh, an animal that represents or is attached to a group, like to the tribe or to the family. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people say, hey, my totem animal is the beaver or whatever. But like a totem animal is for a group. It's not for an individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, a spirit animal isn't something you choose. It's a medicine that comes to you and which has things to teach you and stuff like that. It's not optional. It's not like I like dogs. So dogs are my spirit animal. Right. right? Like right. that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. You can have animal spirit companions mm-hmm. that are not spirit animals. Yes. And I know that that getting down on that terminology can be frustrating, but we don't have the native words for these things anymore. So spirit animal is the English phrase that we have for this native concept that was applied to this concept by, you know, imperial colonizers. Mm -hmm. But it's the only language we have. And at this point, to try and rectify Mm -hmm. that damage, the best we can do, right is make that phrase theirs, right? That belongs to Native people to describe a specific Mm -hmm. spiritual phenomenon. Now, saying that, and that was very important to say, that doesn't mean you cannot work with the spirits of animals. Right, yes. You can work with animal spirits. You can have animal spirit companions. Exactly. Like in, you know, in the craft, you can work with the spirit of owl, or you can work with the spirit of the deer. Or or you can work with the spirit of a specific owl. A specific owl. Or, you know, if they're, like we were talking about Lorelei's, uh, other world creations. Other world creations. You know, there are, there's a spirit attached to that deer bone. Yeah. There's the spirit of that specific deer. That specific deer. And through that, that specific deer spirit, you can probably access the spirit the of deer as a deer concept. as a concept, just like with lavender and the the, the, spirit, the, the spirit of lavender. lavender as a concept, the yeah. same thing is with animal spirits. But I think we do have to be careful with this idea, as you said, when it comes to something that really is a Native American understanding, yeah. because it's part of their religion. I think yeah. I would and call it indigenous tribe. Yeah, because okay. it's not because it's not Good like point. there's there's not a an, an overriding Native American That's true. culture, right? right? It was right. specific tribe. So Again, I couldn't specific. find a list right. of who specific. So, and in, so, it's an indigenous concept to yeah. some specific tribes. Yeah. So I do have a question. So the Capele people of Liberia okay. have uh, this thing where they possess animal, plant, and even natural phenomenon Ooh. as their second self. Interesting. Or their alter ego. Interesting. So would that be comparable to kind That's, of the spirit animal thing? Because I've... I... I, I mean, Admittedly, we don't know for sure, right. but like... I, again, not knowing the language. So, so it's important for me here as an American, mm-hmm. as the descendants of colonizers, yep. 
to support the the efforts of native people to reclaim that language, yeah. right? Yep. To, to reclaim that specific phrasing for their spiritual tradition. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want to call that probably a spirit animal or a spirit plant. Right. I don't want to I say that. I've, do you think it's the same concept? It's not. No, it's not. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's an, it's a very interesting concept that I do find very interesting. But um, the my understanding of the spirit animal is that it's not part of you. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, so let, I'll talk about philia in a minute and that'll make a clear distinction. Okay. Um, the, a spirit animal is like the spirit of owl. Right. Who is teaching you owl medicine. Right. Right. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to say indigenous peoples uh-huh. is because I believe a lot of the aboriginal tribes yeah, had, had the yeah. Same, same, yes. yeah. similar or the same yeah. 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 ideologies. Um, and I think Finn made a, a really good, had a really good comment about, you know, Finn lives in an area of the western mm-hmm. part of the United States Oklahoma. in Oklahoma and is close to the tribe in his area. Mm-hmm. Finn says, being close to a couple tribes here in Oklahoma is amazing and growing up around them like this is how I got the blessing to make dream catchers. An elder in the tribe took me through the entire process and I've been adopted into the tribe. See, that's, that's very, very cool. cool. Yeah, and, and that's something though that quite, as far as we're concerned, mm-hmm. I think, Finn, you would need to make known when you're, if you sell your dream catcher somewhere or that's something like the, that. I, that's the only way I would be comfortable buying a Correct. dream catcher from you. Right. Yeah, yep. it's with that knowledge. Right, yeah. Because there's been so many instances of appropriation or theft. Or, right. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's so cool, it that, is very cool that, yeah. that Finn has this, and that's, this knowledge is, and this, you know, has been accepted in the tribe. And, and it's and like, then, that's cool. They're passing that Exactly. On. That's right. what makes it not appropriation. Exactly. That is exactly appreciation what Appreciation and adoption. Exactly. Is that understanding of the context, that involvement in the community. Exactly. I want to talk about Filkia here because something that is sometimes mentioned when, so like native people will talk about, you know, please stop using the word spirit animals. That's ours. Right. And people will, usually white people will come back at them and say, well, the Vikings had a concept of spirit animals too. False. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what the Vikings did have. It's not a concept of spirit animals like uh, certain tribes in, in North America had. What the Vikings and, and the Norse and modern day heathens, some of them have concept of is Filkja and Hamungja, uh, which are two separate concepts sometimes mistaken for each other. So Hamingja is a spirit that is the embodiment of a family's luck. It's usually a female spirit. Uh, it might actually be uh, a deceer, which is uh, a female ancestor, but it's not clear if that's always the case. Right. Uh, it might take the form of a deceer, but it, it represents the family's luck. It is attached to individuals in the family. Mm-hmm. It's passed down to descendants, and it can be lent to other people to give them your luck for a time to mm-hmm. accomplish some task, right? That's what a Hamingja is. A filhya is a separate thing that superficially resembles a bad understanding of spirit animals. Okay. So a filhya is a piece of the soul that exists and is created at the same time that a human being is born. Filhya means one who follows uh, or follower. It is a piece of your soul that is slightly detached from your soul. Not like completely detached from your soul, but enough detached that it has sort of a pseudo-intelligence of its own. Right. It usually has an animal shape. Not always. Some filhya have reportedly been presented as humans, uh, and in that respect, they resemble doppelgangers or a witch's fetch mm-hmm. from, from English traditions. Mm-hmm. 
But traditionally, most of the time, a filhia is an animal. It is again not something that you choose. The shape of your filhia just is a thing, and it says something about you. Yes, Lorelai, like demons from the Golden Compass. A filhia <laughs> is much more like a demon from the Golden Compass than it is like anything else. It's an animal that just sort of represents you in some way, or says something about you in relationship to the culture you're a part of. So. I mean, obviously, traditionally to the Norse, like a wolf filia meant that you were a dangerous outlaw, <laughs> and、mm. a bear filia meant that you were a powerful ruler, and and that kind of a thing.、Mm-hmm. And so a filia could represent or or could reveal sort of secret information about you. So like, there's a a saga where a young boy has a, a polar bear filia. The seer is able to see his filia, which usually、uh, can't be seen, like a a person with the sight. Mm-hmm. For lack of a better word, saw the filia and saw that it was a polar bear and said, "Aha! This child royal and will become a king." It's fundamentally connected to the spirit. If you are a journeyer or a spirit worker,、uh, your filia may be sent out to do things for you,、mm-hmm. or you may astrally shapeshift into the shape of your filia and go out and do things,、mm-hmm. right? Because、mm-hmm. it. It is a a shape that you have. It is, the, it, it, is, it is a shape of your spirit. But it is very different from what indigenous people. Right, because an indigenous person's spirit animal is not a part of them. Right, right. It is a separate entity that works with them. Right. So people saying that the Vikings had a concept of a spirit animal are deeply incorrect. Right. What Vikings had a concept of was the filhia. The filhia.、Uh, and filhia is spelled F Y L G J A. Because the old Norse is a is a wild language. <laughs> It's time for Queen's Garden Gems. Okay, so what I'm going to be talking about today is actually something that was suggested by a listener. They wanted to know about planting by the moon because I've referenced that a couple of times in the past. And so today I'm going to talk about that concept of planting or gardening by the phases of the moon. Basically, planting by the the phases of the moon or by the moon, as old as agriculture is,、um, it's popular in folklore and in superstition. But there is some science to back it up, <laughs> as, <laughs> because, often as, as often as often the way, <laughs> because the Earth, as we all know, is you know it's in the midst of a large gravitational field that's influenced by the sun and the moon. And the tides are highest at the new moon and the full moon, and that causes you know the tides to come in and you know do their thing, right? Well, there are those who say that this also affects the moisture in the earth. So they're at different times of the lunar phase, depending on what the gravitational pull is on the earth. It pulls or draws up. The moisture up into、makes、farther、sense. up into the soil.、Yeah. I've never thought about that, but I guess that、yeah. makes sense. So it makes certain times better for planting, certain times better for harvesting, and that kind of thing. And so there are people. My grandfather was one of them because it's also part of the. You can find it in the Old Farmers Almanac, which、um, is online. Just look up, you know, Old Farmers Almanac, and you、mm-hmm. get a lot of this. It has a lot of this wisdom that people like my grandfather used、mm-hmm. when they were farming and gardening. That that was. Passed on to them from their ancestors,、right. but basically you've got there are some different ways you can do this. You can follow this from new to full to new.、Mm-hmm. You can follow the like you have your new moon, your waxing moon, your full moon,、right. waning. You can follow that as a、System. part of the cycle. The most common apparently is also. 
a biodynamic kind of gardening that includes the zodiac, combining that with the court with the moon cycle. Huh. So where you know by following the zodiac signs where they are in the sky and all that kind of stuff, which I think is a little complicated because I don't like the zodiac. So I'm just saying I probably so much math and farming yeah. now. But basically, if you want to go by <laughs> <Back> the, <then. laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly the system that's probably the easiest is go by waxing and waning mm-hmm. of the moon and. For instance, if you are gardening during a waxing moon, the light is increasing. So you would sow and transplant flowering annuals and other short-lived plants that you would harvest uh, from their leaves, their seeds, their flowers, or their fruits. The waxing moon is also a good time for adding fertilizers like liquid fertilizers, homemade mm-hmm. compost, comfrey tea to your garden, and things like that. The flow of moisture in the wax is good for long-lived plants that that need that moisture to come up during the waxing mm. moon. Obviously, you still water your garden. You still, right. you know, it's you don't just right. leave the earth to, to water itself, <laughs> you know. But it helps, the, the gravitational pull helps that water that you're giving to the soil Does it, do I, a better job. I I wonder if it also, because, like, the idea is that it, it's pulling the water, like, closer to the surface, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Closer to root access. Right. When you water the plant, does it also prevent the water from going deep deep down mm-hmm. and the, access. exactly it, it would keep it in a in a place that like a, a good in a range. good range for the for the soil now during waning moon while the light is decreasing you want to sow plants that have stronger root systems so this would be root crops and perennials things that are going to burrow down, down deeper hmm. so that they get that moisture as it's lower in in the soil pruning is a good you is a, it's a good time to do pruning during the waning moon you can also, if you, if it's in a dormant time of the year when the sap flow has decreased, that's that's a good. I'm I'm getting very um, doctrine of the signatures vibes from it this. It is it is a very <laughs> doctrine of signatures kind of thing. Which you know, doctrine of signatures is it scientifically based? No, we still use it as a kind of reference mm-hmm. in in, in uh, herbalism. herbalism. But we also have science. <laughs> science is the main thing, but. The doctrine of signatures, as we talked about in the herbalism episode, you know, you can see correlations. Mm-hmm. You don't make all of your choices based on that. Right. But it, it's helpful in the overall understanding of the plant and the plant and spirit. It's sort of an intuitive understanding. It's an intuitive it, understanding yeah. of the plant and its spirit and what its function may be. And I'm, I'm getting that vibe with like, yes. when the moon is waning, cut things away. Exactly. Exactly. And so this would also be a good time, um, to do things with the soil, make sure that everything is is ready, especially if you're going into a time like from spring to mm-hmm. autumn, that kind of thing. There's a lot to right, a lot of elements, a lot of elements to gardening by and, and planting by the but by the, the lunar cycles. cycle. But it is a very interesting way to do it, and I recommend that you go ahead and you know investigate it, research it. All you have to do is gardening by the lunar cycle, right. and you'll come up with all kinds of articles, resources, and my grandfather always said that if you gardened or or planted by the cycles of the moon, you were going to have a more bountiful a harvest. Crop. You'd have a better crop by just following the phases of the moon. And that's essentially what I'm reading in these articles too. Is it like, yes, science bears it out. Science bears it out. Confirmed. And, and, it, has something, and it has something to do with the gravitational pull huh. uh, and the cycles of the earth w- mm. within the lunar cycle. It it's one big system. It all works together. We just don't always understand or, or pay attention. That's it for Gwyn's Garden Gems. 
So there was one other thing that I really wanted us to talk about <laughs> mm-hmm. during this episode, and that was spirit guides. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes those are dead human beings, mm-hmm. and sometimes they are something else. Something. Sometimes they are, at least in my sometimes experience. Sometimes they are animal spirits. Sometimes they are the spirits of animals. Sometimes they are spirits who have... Have been human mm-hmm. at some point and have chosen, you know, if you believe in reincarnation, they've chosen not to return or dead people, you know, exactly. You've also got spirit guides who've never right. lived, who've never on been this human. Earth. They've always been a, a, a spirit being of some kind, and it could be an angel or it could just be a random an entity, entity, a spiritual entity. And not everybody believes in spirit guides or works with spirit guides. Mm-hmm. I've had, I have two that I work with. I suspect that spirit guides are not so much a class of being Mm -hmm. as a job description. Mm -hmm. So like I have... I would would agree with that. I have... I don't have any spirit guides, Mm -hmm. right? I have my filthia, which is part of me. Right. And I've had interactions with spirits. Mm -hmm. Um, I have my allies, the embodied spirits that I work with regularly because they're easier for me to access because they have an embodied component I can look at and talk to. Mm -hmm. My stones and so forth. And I've had interactions with spirits that, as far as I can tell, at least aren't embodied. I've I've had interactions with uh, Ketha, Mm -hmm. the stag spirit that I I meet occasionally. But, like, all I've ever gotten from Ketha is that he is an emissary. Mm -hmm. Won't tell me who from, and he's not actually there to emissary anything. He just, like, shows up occasionally in a space that I also show up occasionally, Mm -hmm. and we are casual acquaintances. Well, I I think... I, I, I think it's... I suspect that a lot of people meet these what are essentially casual acquaintance spirits mm-hmm. and try to like fit them in as spirit mm-hmm. guides because they don't have like a framework for a casual spirit acquaintance. Right. Well, like for instance, when, you know, when I really started um, acknowledging my psychic mm-hmm. abilities as a, as a medium and, and working in that capacity, my grandmother had, had been with me since I was 16. Mm-hmm. In essence, she was a type of spirit guide, right. but it, but she wasn't a spirit guide in the technical sense of what people think of as spirit guides. She was just with me. She was an ancestor. She was an ancestor. Exactly. She, But I didn't understand ancestor right, work at the time. I didn't have a framework for that. When my father passed, she went on. Right. You know, she, she followed him. But I have a spirit being that I work with, mm-hmm. Brother Marcus, who, as far as I have been able to discern, was a human being mm-hmm. at one point. At one point, and he was a monk. He was you know. a brother. He was a brother. <laughs> and his job as a monk was to support and advise. And he continues to do and that. And he continues to do that, but for me. <laughs> Right. You know. But you also have you, who mm-hmm. as far as you can tell was never. You has never been alive. Yeah, was as never far a, human as a, a human spirit. He has never been embodied. Yes, he, you has never been embodied. And yes, it is a weird name. It is Y O U. And that is, and she has never, as far as I know, been anything other than a spirit. An being, incorporeal an spirit. An incorporeal being. spirit. And she has not given me any definitions of what she, what type of job she has yeah. or anything. Uh, well, like I would, that. this is what I'm saying. I would say her job, at least right now, is spirit guide. Right. So that was, that's 
something I wanted to talk about is yeah. that, like, I don't know that spirit guides are a class of beings so much as it is a job that certain spirits may be good at and take on. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I thought we might want to talk about briefly, and it'll have to be briefly probably because none of us are, like, part of a system that really involves this, mm-hmm. although Gwyn might have more to say on it than Car and I will, because it's not an animist framework, it's more of a pantheist framework. Mm-hmm. Of the the concept of, like, the higher self. Probably. I do have more of a framework for that. Yeah. I, can... I really don't have a framework for that other mm-hmm. than, like, my soul is composed of multiple levels. Right. Some of them I'm not always consciously like, aware of. But For instance, when I work with a pendulum, it depends on the type of questions that I'm asking. Sometimes I'm asking my higher self, that part of my spirit being that is connected to uh universe or to the greater spirits out there, that I think it's that part of me that allows me to be a psychic medium. So you do have a, a certain amount of a pantheist framework yeah, that yeah. you're working on. You mm-hmm. have a concept of like a great just spiritual presence yeah. to which all things are connected. And I would, for me, I would say uh, it's more than one because it's I, I have this connection with the Earth Mother. I have a connection with the greater spirit in the universe. But wouldn't al- the along Earth with all the Mother, individual spirits, would the Earth Mother and the individual spirits not just be facets or components of no, the great I, spirit? It, what I, is the great spirit? Then? It, it's universal. The universal spirit is, I guess, for me, what is above. What you know the in sky? in the, the in the out in the universe. The void. Maybe. I don't know. It's hard for me to explain because it's hard for me, you know. Uh-huh. But I guess I have a concept of uh, the Earth Mother and what is below, the, right. you know, and what is here in the middle world with us. Right. And then there is the, the upper world, the outer world, the universe energy that is its own energy, its own spirit, its own I have no sense of... So I can, like I said, I, can, I have a sense of mm-hmm. spirits sort of stacking yeah. right into each other in, 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 into increasingly large and abstract shapes. Mm-hmm. But and maybe there's just a point beyond which I can't sense the shape of that spirit anymore. Like maybe there's possible. a point where like beyond plasma, that's the universe, and yeah. I just can't get that far. Maybe. And for me, this is... And I'm... It's it's UPG for me. Right. I mean, well, I, all I, of this you is, know, yes. Obviously. And, but that is how I've come to understand the, I've come to understand the Earth Mother as her own entity, but also as part of the, the universe, the universe, but also part of nature, but all of nature has its own individual spirit. Right, that's getting yeah. more detailed again, but yeah. getting, as you get to more abstract levels, what's yeah. below the Earth Mother? Is it the universe? Like, cause the Earth isn't like a flat plane, it's a right. globe. Right. So yeah. it's surrounded by the universe on all sides. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel like the Earth Mother is is part of the, the wider universe, I suppose. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. Sometimes these don't, sometimes, yeah, sometimes these questions don't have good answers. I yeah. think how I live every day is my higher self because beyond that, I'm just an asshole. Moment. So, <laughs> the fact that if I how can you act live like every, a normal if, person if, is if, my higher self. If, so the id, yeah. for lack of a better yeah, word, yeah, is, yeah, is, because, your, is your higher self? Because to, beyond to, that, to if, I didn't, right, yeah. if I didn't have to like, if you If be, you were, if you were, if, if id and ego were cut off and you were just, uh, oh, what is it, the, the... No, id is the super, it's id, id, ego, super super ego. ego. So super ego is the higher self. 
Mm-hmm. Ego is the presentation of your higher self suppressing your id. Right. And the id is your animal. Is your animal impulse. Right. Unconscious yeah. impulse. And so, you know, I feel like, you know, my everyday existence is kind Which of is my the, higher self because mm-hmm. I have to keep all of the other is crap. The, that, right. As do we all. Right. Yeah. Think, is the super know, ego yep. interacting all, on the world. This is, unless you're involved in an organized religion, it's all subjective to how you experience right. Unless the your world. tradition has strong opinions. Yeah, unless you have strong, you come you, from a tradition that... You will be able probably to make your own decisions. Exactly, yes. exactly. And whatever, my whole thing is whatever, however you understand the spiritual realm and the earthly realm, you know, and all of this stuff, that's all that matters, as you understand it. As I've mentioned before, I believe this can all be simultaneously true and untrue. Mm-hmm. Yep. I believe all, I all of our stances can be equally true simultaneously, mm-hmm. and I guess I just don't experience cognitive dissonance anymore. And, so. we're, not ex- <laughs> and we're not experts on... No, on a on, damn thing. On, on damn any of it. Thing. Not even on ourselves. No, we're, just, we're no. just giving our opinions, and it can change. That was something I was thinking of today, believe it or not, while I was making dinner. Yeah. It's like, it's okay to change your mind. Yeah, we've yeah. talked, we've mentioned this before in the past too on another episode, I'm sure. Because I never used to consider myself an animist, but I am moving toward You're picking up animist animist, animist beliefs and and well, yeah, you're being highly influenced. Yeah, you've got you live with two animals. It's not surprising. There's, there's part of that, but it's also the but it also comes from the experience of working yeah. with my plants and going out in that class yeah. yesterday, right. experiencing those experiencing spirits as individuals, those spirits as individuals, and things like that. Our cat, he has his own little spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, so and he's an asshole. Yes, <laughs> well, he, many cats are. Many cats are. It, you can change your mind whether it's through who you live with mm-hmm. or through experience or a combination thereof or the things that you study mm-hmm. it's okay to change your mind and it's also okay to say i'm not really sure i'm still trying to figure exactly. it out exactly exactly yeah. like i know we live in a culture that a wants hard answers to things and b absolutely hates admitting wrongdoing or error mm-hmm. ever but uh it's very important as people as whole yeah. people trying to better ourselves yeah. to a acknowledge that we don't know everything mm-hmm. b acknowledge when our lack of knowledge causes us to fuck up mm-hmm. and c Acknowledge that eventually we're going to change our minds on probably every single piece of this. Absolutely. Yep. And, we, and all of that said, is acceptable. Because we've been doing this now for, for almost, almost two years. years. Yeah. My opinions and my belief mm-hmm. system has evolved well, yep. over yep. the last year and a half to two years. Which is a good I, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was... When we started this, I was coming from a framework as a secular witch. Mm-hmm. I'm now a devotional witch. Yep. Right. You know? And so, but that was a journey that I experienced mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Which you all have witnessed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it will change again over however long however in long, the future. Yeah, you yeah. know? Until death. And it is okay to change your path. It's okay to change what you believe about spirits or spirit beings or how you interact with them or if you don't at all. Mm-hmm. There is no right answer in my opinion. Or if there is, you will never know what it is. So, so put that dream away. Exactly. And just accept whatever makes your life functional. Exactly. And if you're comfortable in a tradition that has very specific views mm-hmm. about deity and spirits and how you interact with then them, stick with that. then stick with that and embrace it. And if you're not, if you want to explore something mm-hmm. else, it's okay to do that too. And yeah. we will, we will be with you and support you on that journey. Exactly. Right. And I just wanted to say on the be with you and support you thing mm-hmm. is that we had a huge talk on the way we did. home yeah. from Ann Arbor Pagan Pride. It's a two-hour, it's a it's a two, two and a half hour drive. hour drive, and we talked through the whole drive. Right. Yeah. 
And basically, we believe that this podcast, though we started it for an entirely different reason. Right. We started it for ourselves. We started it for ourselves so that we would have a a justifiable, concrete reason to have these conversations. Right. It has become our sacred duty to do these episodes. Mm And, and and to facilitate and support this the community, community that has grown up around this. It. Yeah, exactly. And I know that sounds dramatic. <laughs> yes, it does. It sounds dramatic to say our podcast is our sacred responsibility, but that's I how know, we really feel about. This. I yeah. know there are people who for whom this podcast is an important resource. Mm-hmm. I know there are people for whom this community is an important lifeline. Yep. So we just want you guys to know that we are taking it very seriously. Exactly. And we're not going anywhere anytime. No. That's right. Uh, we, we have we, no we plans. We even talked about yeah. if one of us if one passes, of us dies, the, the other two will the continue. The other two will continue. And the others will be here in spirit. Exactly. For, for so. as long as you guys are willing to listen. And as long as you need us. As yep. long as you need us, we'll be here. Yeah. And with that, I think it's time for Cars Feast Table. Cars Feast Table. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so what I came up with for today, because the last couple of ones have been very vegan vegetarian, so I decided to be not. Oh, uh, gotta go omnivore. Gorgonzola stuffed steak with prosciutto. Okay, when are you making that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the first thing you need, and A, this is for two people. Mm. But you need two New York strip or sirloin steaks about two inches thick. That's what you need to start this with. You also need, for the gorgonzola stuffing, six large fresh sage leaves, six large fresh basil leaves. I have both of those I was going to say. Two sprigs of oregano with the leaves removed. I don't think we have oregano. I don't think I do. Two cloves of garlic, or as Ode and I say, bulbs, you know, two bulbs, bulbs of garlic. Uh, two, this is going to become a garlic-studded uh, gorgonzola right. <laughs> steak. Two tablespoons of olive oil, two tablespoons of pine nuts, freshly ground black pepper, a half a cup, in my opinion, per steak, of gorgonzola cheese crumbled. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. four slices of either prosciutto or pancetta. Mm. Your choice I probably would go pancetta yeah. just because it's yeah. a little bit thicker. and Yeah, and, and it's not as salty as prosciutto. Right, yep, yep. yep. And then to do the rest of it, all you need is a heavy oven-safe cast iron skillet mm. and a food processor. What you're going to do is you're going to heat your oven to 425 degrees. You're going to place the sage, the basil, the oregano, the garlic cloves, the olive oil into a food processor. Pulse it all until it's you're finely mixed. Make pesto? Basically. Ooh. Add the pine nuts and, pest- and uh, pulse again until smooth. Then add the black pepper and the gorgonzola cheese and process again for a few seconds until it makes a very smooth consistency. We might be going to Granville to the butcher to get yeah. a steak. Set that aside. Steak. Um, trim the steaks of any excess fat. Uh-huh. Cut a slit in the middle of them. And then you're going to shovel half of your mixture okay. into each of those of uh, with the gorgonzola cheese. Uh-huh. Don't overfill it because you don't want it to completely ooze out. Uh-huh. I would suggest that if you're doing the pancetta, that you actually chop it up finely and mm. put it into that mixture. That would be yummy. Yeah. After you've done all your mixing of it in the food processor, right. add it in by hand. Yeah. Um, and then stuff it in there. Then you're going to heat it in a cast iron skillet over medium-high heat just to get a good crust on it. So both mm-hmm. sides and the and the edges. So you okay. want to sear the entire thing, both sides, top and bottom, oh and all the edges all the way around. Okay. What do I do with me? 
Because I like a well-done steak. Oh, no, no, no. This is just no, to get it seared. Okay. Yeah. Seared. okay. This, this is, is to a... get you the nice crust on it. Okay. Then uh, okay, you're going to take the skillet <laughs> and you're going to put it in the stove. Oh, you're your going to bake it. Yes. Do make sure to use yep. the oven mitt when you pull yes. the stove yes. out. Because I've burned And when you put hand. it in, yeah. Yes, yep. I've burned my hand doing it. And then know that, you know, it's going to depend on how you want the steak finished. You can do it to whatever your taste is. However your oven works. Yeah. In our case, you know, we're going to do three of these steaks mm-hmm. so it's going to require a little bit more of everything mm-hmm. and then we all like the steaks cooked to different consistencies yes. <laughs> so mine um, will stay in until it's almost a briquette <laughs> mine will come out first because i'm okay with it bleeding everywhere just so you guys know it's not actually blood it's just the juice of the it's steak juices okay this said though if you make this uh, gorgonzola sauce mm-hmm. in abundance mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning you can put it in the refrigerator and it'll stay for three or four weeks but it makes a great topping for Just like pasta. lamb, pasta, salads, salads, baked potatoes. Uh, so you can Ooh. put it on a bunch of different stuff. That sounds, All right? that sounds, that sounds good delish. as hell. Right. And everyone in chat agrees, by yeah. the way. Oh my God, it was so funny, their responses. Everyone in chat is losing up. their mind. <laughs> they want to eat this. There you go. That is maybe your best recipe yet. <laughs> I think so. That's a good one. I desperately want to eat it. Yep. Like yesterday. We're going to be making plans, baby. Yeah. Plans. Yeah. That's a good one. That Holy is a shit. good one. <laughs> All right. I think that's I think that's it. That's everything. It. I think we've, we've covered everything I wanted to talk about on mm-hmm. this topic. We're going to be doing another episode um, on working the, the attachment to, the spir- to this episode. And I, I think it's fair to say there are so many different types right. of We couldn't spirits. possibly list them couldn't all. couldn't possibly list them all. Well, we could have, but it would have been it the entire yeah. I guess the biggest thing is if you are a person who believes in spirit beings and who wants to interact wants to interact with them, do some research, Mm -hmm. you know, choose kind of where you feel like you're being pulled, obviously, or or trust your instinct of where you're being pulled. Don't just go with something because it's the cool thing to do. Right. Necessarily. Uh, Go with what's drawing you. Remember that what's drawing you is not um, an obligation. That's right. right. So just because you get someone's interest doesn't mean you have to pick up the phone. Exactly. In fact, yesterday I spoke to a young man who was being drawn by the good people. Mm-hmm. It's something that uh, has been happening for a lot in his life, and he's not interested. He's not interested right. You, you know, are allowed to you are not allowed answer to the call. You are allowed to not answer the call. That doesn't mean they'll quit calling. No. No. Uh, it just means you have to learn to screen your calls. That's yep. right. Like with that's right. Uh, like with any unwanted caller. Right. That's right. All right. So that's it for this episode mm-hmm. of Three Pagans and a Cat. And thank everybody you, in the Discord. Yep. Thanks yep. everybody for being here. You can find us on Facebook mm-hmm. at Three Pagans and a Cat. You can find us on the website at three, the number three, pagansandacat.com. You can find us on Twitter at three underscore pagans. You can find us on YouTube <laughs> by just searching Three Pagans and a Cat. Uh-huh. We have a red bubble. Yep. That's right. Yep. We have... Oh, a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, you can find it you all... You can find it all on the website. Yep, in exactly. The, in the, you can find the links in the individual episodes. Yep. As well as all the other... The links to our the, major social medias. The social yep. medias, the Patreon. Yep. Yep. All that good stuff. Yep. Yep. So, um, and we're we're going to be really, really close to going to weekly. Our Patreon is probably a hundred bucks away hmm. um, from going to a weekly format. So, so, if you want us to go weekly, right? Yeah. You know how to make that happen? You know how yeah. to make that happen? So, yeah, that's it for this episode. Yep. I think we've given the list of all the places that we're at. Sure. Or at least the bulk of them. Yep. And 
for the most part, honestly, our SEO is doing pretty good. So if you need to find us, you can just Google us. Just Google right, us. Yeah. Just Google yeah. three pigs and a cat. And you'll, you'll find you'll us there eventually. And so, yeah. That's it. <laughs> bye. Bye. See ya. Bye. All right, bye. Are you going to turn it off? I could. Do you, you want me to actually turn it off? Yes, I do. That's okay. the do little button right there with the this square. The, where, where I have the mouse the, now. The, the gold one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.